Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. My next guest on the Sandro Forte podcast is Steve Brown, a futurist, an author, an entrepreneur, and an executive consultant with over 30 years of experience in the high-tech sector. Something for me to be learning today, I'm sure. Prior to building his own consulting practice, he was Intel's chief evangelist and worked in Intel Labs as a futurist. Steve helps companies to be more prepared for the future, to be more resilient, more innovative, and of course, more profitable. He helps leaders to improve their technology acumen, create thoughtful digital strategies, and to understand the profound impact technology will have on their business lives five, 10, and 15 years from now. He is the author of The Innovation Ultimatum, How Six Strategic Technologies Will Reshape Every Business in the 2020s, a how-to guide on innovation and digital transformation. Steve is also the co-founder of the Provenance Chain Network, a business designed to bring transparency to global commerce. Um, It's not often I more than meet my match, but I've had the pleasure of talking to Steve before, offline, of course. We've not had him on the show before now, but I was absolutely bowled over when I spoke to Steve before. Not only is he a thoroughly nice human being, but some of the stuff he had to say to me was absolutely incredible, really blew my mind. And, you know, okay, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer uh, and I'm probably a bit disconnected from the real world, um, unlike many of our listeners. But what I would say is there is an awful lot to be learned from this rather wonderful man. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce to all of you across the world on the Sandro Forte podcast today, Steve Brown. Welcome, Steve. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Sandro. Thanks for a very lovely welcome. I'm just, I'm impressed I managed to get through that very long introduction in one go, unscathed. Because <laughs> um, as I say to lots of uh, lots of guests, uh, Piers Morgan, I'm not. But the thing that uh, many people like about the show is that we just have some fantastic guests who love having a general chit-chat about lots of different things. And the content of today's podcast is really fascinating because a lot of questions that we get asked, Steve, on a regular basis via email, and everyone knows the email address by now, is, you know, what does the future hold? We talk a lot about and hear about robo-advice and robo-technology and uh, AI and all these other things. So we will talk about some of those. But before we do that, could we just start with who you are? Because you're not, uh, you know, have a, have a lovely British accent, but Britain is not home, is it? So let's let's start with who you are, where you come from, and any any bits we need from the CV. Sure. So um, British originally, um, lived in lived in England for thirty years. Moved to the States in 1997 uh, for a job with Intel. I worked with Intel in the UK, and then they moved me over for what was supposed to be an 18-month assignment in Portland, Oregon, which is in the Pacific Northwest, very beautiful part of the United States. Happens to be where most of Intel's facilities are based. You know, that everybody thinks of them as a, as a Santa Clara-based company in Silicon Valley, but most of their facilities are actually up here in the Silicon Forest in Oregon. Uh, worked here for a long time, 24 years I've lived over here. Um, and I worked with Intel in many different capacities. 
I ran the worldwide events program, uh, was in marketing. I was a video producer. I was in engineering, um, you know, lots of different things. And then eventually became enamored with the world of strategic planning and uh, moved into Intel Labs, where I became one of Intel's two futurists, uh, thinking about the world and modeling the world about 10 years out. So to, to design a chip from scratch takes about seven years or at least it did back in the day. And so to get out ahead of that, we would have to think about what are the problems people will have? Um, how will they uh, think about using technology to solve those problems, to make their lives better about 10 years out? So I'm trained to think that way. I left Intel about five years ago and started my own practice as a, a professional speaker and consultant and uh, been loving it ever since. So let's dive in with a couple of questions, then we'll see where this conversation goes. Uh, look, I'm I'm a bit of a dinosaur. I've always freely admitted it. So this kind of content is both mind-blowing and fascinating to me in equal measure. Uh, and, and I think I would be the first to say, Steve, I hold my hand up and say, you know what, I, I resist change when it comes to talking about things I know nothing about. And technology is right up there with the things I know nothing about. So is, is, there, a, is there still this reluctance in today's society uh, and I know a lot of people listening will be groaning at what I've just said, but is there a reluctance, generally speaking, in today's society to embrace technological change, I guess, through fear of what the impact will be on our lives, on our businesses, particularly in relation to job loss or creation? Is is that still a fundamental problem? Of course. Yeah. And you're not alone, Sandro, in saying that you resist change. Um, most human beings say will tell you that they like change and they embrace change when they really don't, because uh, it's a very human thing to like things the way they are, especially if things are ticking along quite nicely for you. Um, the, the challenge with technology for many people is they have to see themselves in that imagined future. And very often technology can be scary because we think, well, I know I know how to show up. I know how to participate in my company. I know how I am valued um, in this world. If we were to embrace technology, people just sort of worry, uh, does my relevance reduce? Am I less important to the company? Um, will I be measured in a different way? And so it's a very natural human thing to, to resist that. And I think there's also a lot of these technologies are very powerful. And understanding what you can do with them is not something that's in the skill set of a lot of leaders today. And so, yeah, they hear about AI or blockchain or sensors or 5G or whatever it might be. And think, well, okay, yeah, I suppose, I suppose we should look at that. But they don't understand just how impactful those businesses can be, those technologies can be on their business and how powerful they can be to elevate their employees' capabilities, to create new offerings for uh, their customers, to serve their customers in new ways, through new channels, to streamline operations and so on. So some of it is a, um, a resistance to change in general. And some of it is just not really understanding this stuff. And that's why I wrote the book, to try and arm people to be able to understand these at a relatively high level and know what questions to ask, to empower them to feel comfortable making big changes and embracing technology to do great things. I guess you've partially already answered the question, but I'm fascinated to know, as I know many people listening will be, to know kind of what a futurist is exactly, because obviously with the pace of change, Steve, how yeah. easy or difficult is it 
is it to see something 10 years away? I mean, we all love people like you because we want to know what's around the corner because we're most of us are afraid to walk around the corner because often we, we're, we're a bit unsure as to what we're going to find. So we kind of want that person to dip their toe in the water or to say, don't worry, uh, come on in, it's nice and warm. So what exactly is a futurist and what specifically do you do now you're consulting? Yeah, so um, a futurist is not someone who makes predictions. So I don't have a crystal ball. Um, I don't sit in a darkened room and smoke peyote and think big <laughs> thoughts, right? That's that's not the way it works. It's a discipline um, of looking at the confluence of trends over time. And the types of trends that I look at would be te- obviously technology trends. Um, and this is based on a deep understanding of how technologies tend to roll out over time. You know, I've been in the tech business for 30 years. I've seen lots of technologies come and go. I know what it takes to get them deployed and diffused out into the world. So looking at technologies, how they're likely to mature, what the cost curves look like on them, when do they become something that you can just stir into every product or every piece of infrastructure. So technology trends is one. Um, people trends. What do people want? Um, What are demographic trends? Um, How are those needs and wants likely to change over time? Those tend to be a little shorter term, but you can generally extrapolate those out over time, especially as you look at generational trends. So looking at um, Gen Y, millennials, or uh, Gen Z after that, and seeing how their attitudes are different, you can generally figure out, okay, well, once they are earning money and spending money, um, how they're going to how they're going to think about the world differently, uh, and then there's sort of this category of business and ecosystem trends. How are business models changing? Uh, so, for example, five or ten years ago, we were looking at the freemium model, right? How would that change the way that people went to market, or the sharing economy uh, was something that we were talking about eight to ten years ago, uh, and how that would change the way that people thought about subscriptions and services, and you know the, the rise of Airbnb and, and Uber and so on. So it's, it's looking at how all of those trends come together and how they'll intersect in interesting ways. And that's what I do as a futurist. And when I work with uh, companies, I'm trying to guide them and help them think through that process for their industry, for their business, uh, and for their particular uh, set of products, services, and uh, experiences, whatever it might be. Has this whole uh, change curve um, surprised even you, Steve? Because I, I, I was born in the year where they put man on the moon. And they said at the time, I don't know if this is true or not, but there's more technology now goes into an iPhone than in uh, the, 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 the device that put a man on the moon all those years ago. But it the, just the, seems... Sandra, let me stop you there because mm. you're way over calling that. There is, way, there is more compute power in the uh, ABS braking system of your car than put a man on the moon. iPhone's wow. way, 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 way more. Well, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't misquoting it then. Um, so it isn't an urban myth. It's actually true. So my point here is that in the last 53 years, yeah. uh, we have seen a huge amount of change. Is it surprising even you, Steve? Is it getting, is that process of change now more accelerated than it was? Or is it just, we're just, is it because we're more aware of it now? Because we're living in the moment and we're kind of seeing it happening every day. In your opinion, and I guess the second part of my question then is, by definition, does there come a saturation point? Does there come this this moment in in the future where everything slows down? Or, you know, have we reached the crest of the hill or are we still on the way up or are we on the way down? 
Yeah, actually, the way to think about it is we're on we're on an exponential curve, and the way it feels when you're traveling on an exponential curve, if you see one drawn out, like I know we're talking now, so I can't gesture in the air to to show your listeners, but a curve that goes up to the right and then goes very steeply up, you always feel like you're on the knee of that curve where it's just accelerating upwards. That's the way it feels always when you're on an exponential curve, and that's kind of the way we are. Um, it is harder to surprise a futurist, for sure. Uh, it better be, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not doing my job very well. Um, but it's still possible. I still get surprised and amazed by things that I see um, because things are moving so quickly. And it's really the, the creative application of technologies that surprise me in terms of what they're able to do. So I'll give you an example. Um, there's a company in Israel called Vocalis Health. And they are able to use an AI to spot what they call vocal biomarkers. So particular signatures in your voice that betray disease states. So they have an AI that can listen to your voice. And just by listening to your voice, they can, it can hear uh, chronic heart failure, coronary artery disease, COPD, sleep apnea, just in the sound of your voice. And they've already, they're working on a diagnostic for COVID-19, which can hear COVID-19 in your voice. And beyond that, you know, they're working with the Mayo Clinic in the United States to try and develop diagnostics for diabetes, hypertension, and potentially even cancer, hearing cancer in the sound of your voice. Think about how that would change the way that we, the voice agents that you have in your home, whether it's from Amazon or Google or whoever, have that being able to listen to your voice and tell you, you know what, you should go and have a checkup at the doctor. I think I'm hearing something that's not good. So those wow. are the sorts of things that catch me by surprise. It's it's not the development of the technology per se. It is the creative application of that to do incredible things. So here's a, here's a big open-ended question then, and I, and I don't want to make this too political, but everyone will have a view on this. Is this not a kind of artificial intervention that is affecting the world and society as we know it? In other words, you know, the natural order of things is that people live, people die, but now we've got people who are living older, the world's becoming more overpopulated, that then naturally leads to disease, virus, all those kinds of things. Yeah. Clearly, as a futurist, you're going to say, no, absolutely, let's embrace it, I guess. But there's, there's a, I guess there's a downside here. There's a, there's a flip side to all the positives that come from this. How do we as a society temper and measure and balance this extraordinary growth in our, in our time? Um, I think we have to all get more intentional. Um, you know, we, we sort of float along as a, as a society. And I, whenever I talk to a big group of people, one of the last things I'll do is say, okay, I call myself a futurist. I deputize you all as futurists because we all need to participate in the conversation about what the future is that we want to have. And really it's, it's about asking and answering two fundamental questions. What's the future that we want to build? And what's the future that we want to avoid? And you need to, they're sort of flip sides of the same coin. And for us all to be more intentional about that and to think about how we want to include technology in our lives, how we want to behave, because we're all part of a greater whole. 
you may feel like what you do doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but it does. It all adds up. And so all making intentional choices about what we do. And really, um, the way that we shape the future as a species tends to be through working collectively together. And that happens generally inside corporations. So when you go to work, also show up as a human being and think, ask and answer the question, what's the future we want to build? And what's the future we want to avoid? And participate in that conversation. Uh, and that's something I, I talked about in a TED talk I did oh, it's like 2013 or so now. It's an old TED talk. And the title of it was um, Why Machines Must Make Us Better Humans. And I posed the question, you know, how for you, Sandro, being a better human is going to be different than it is for me or for any of your listeners, right? It's a very personal thing to think about that. So it forces us all to think about how do I want to be a better dad, a better worker, a better coworker, a better boss, a better friend? Um, and how can I use technology? How can I use and, and technology in, in the broader sense of the, of the word um, to get to where I'm trying to go? I, again, I might end up misquoting myself, but on the basis I'm on a roll, got the last one sort of right, uh, <laughs> albeit that I understated it. Uh, I think I'm right in saying that of in the last 100 years, the top 100 companies by capitalization in the world, there are only 19 have retained their place in the last century. Yeah. Because I imagine the other 81 failed to adapt, to innovate, to change. So I know this is a really obvious question, but I'm interested on your insights and thoughts on this. With businesses regularly being left behind uh, because they're failing to adapt to change. And okay, there's, there's other reasons why they don't succeed necessarily in the long term, but fundamentally yeah. they're on that curve, but don't reinvent themselves at regular parts along the way, regular times along the way. What can businesses, with you with your speaking hat on, your consulting hat on, what can businesses think about in terms of maintaining their cutting edge, their USP, um, their success? given all of the change that's going on in the world today? Yeah, I mean, you're right. The, the average business um, on the Fortune 500 lasts for 40 years and then it dies. So you know, if you're a maturing business, how do you make sure that doesn't happen to you? And you know, Christensen addressed this with the innovators dilemma. People tend to not want to do things that would, would harm their core business. And so you have to have a willingness, a cultural corporate willingness to do the things that would threaten your core business. That needs to be part of your culture to embrace that. If you think about the decisions that Steve Jobs made with the iPod and the iPhone, you know, they were, they dwarfed the, the Mac business over time because he was willing to do something that potentially threatened his core business with the iPad and, and so on. So um, you have to have a corporate culture that embraces change and celebrates, almost celebrates destruction, that celebrates the end of things um, and doesn't just try to add. Um, in order to move forward, you have to destroy the status quo if you're going to move forward in a meaningful way. And that is a cultural issue. It's set with the tone from leadership. And so it requires the leadership of a company to celebrate the end of things and to have the boldness to 
to take on projects that potentially threaten your core business. And you have to put yourself in the shoes and ask the question, and I hate to use the word disruption, but you have to be willing to disrupt your own business, put yourselves in the shoes of your competitors and say, if I was the most worthy competitor we have, how would I take us down? And then do that. And that takes courage. Mm. So it's really, to me, it's about foresight, um, a culture of celebrating the end of things and corporate courage. And that is exactly why I wanted you on the podcast. Uh, the 25,000 books behind you uh, is testament to the fact that I knew you'd come up with uh, some smart answers to some, what I thought when I was asking them, I thought, oh gosh, I hope this doesn't uh, doesn't tax him too much, but um, you just brush them aside. So uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't let you be a podcast guest without asking you the question, which I'm sure everyone now has on the lips, which is about sharing, if you would, some insights as to how technology will reshape and shape businesses in the next five, 10, 15 years, uh, based on all the research you're doing, the experience you're gaining from working with so many companies around the globe. What does the future look like for businesses, Steve? The future is bright for businesses, um, but here's a couple of things to think about. Um, there has always been a gap between companies that embrace technology and put it to work for them, and companies that were laggards in that regard. That gap has always existed. We're always we're all aware of it. Um, you know, you can look at how Amazon has you know really changed the game in retail because they invested heavily in technology. They 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 widened that gap. Um, the thing to know about the next 10 years of business, technology has always been important in the delivery of your offering, however that might be, in the way that you operate. But the gap between businesses that embrace technology wholesale and those that are slower is going to widen. And that's going to happen because the six technologies I write about in my book are significantly more capable, more powerful than the last raft of technology changes that we went through. So that's the first thing to understand is if you feel like you were able to be a technology follower and survive and be fine with that in your business, in your sector, that may well not be true for the next 10 years. So what that means is as a leadership team, um, you as a company, in fact, everybody in your company needs to be thinking about how do I use technology? How do I use digital transformation to solve problems? Uh, because digital technology is becoming significantly more capable. It can now solve problems that it could not solve just a few years ago. And that's the second piece of it is that you may have looked at digital technology five years ago to see how it would disrupt your business and thought, well, it'll never solve these problems. Um, you need to look again because these technologies are so powerful now and so capable and can be um, applied in such creative ways that the, the realm of business problems that are solvable using these technologies has now expanded significantly. So the six technologies that I am watching, keeping my eye on that I write about in the book, The Innovation Ultimatum, are artificial intelligence, uh, blockchain and distributed ledgers, uh, sensors and the Internet of Things, um, 5G and satellite networks, uh, augmented and virtual reality, and then autonomous machines, which is self-driving cars, robots, drones, um, passenger drones, all of it. By creatively combining all of those, 
you can start to solve a whole raft of problems that you could not solve before. And for businesses, to me, it's about five categories of stuff that you have to think about. How do I use these technologies to do one, to elevate my offering? whether that's a product, a service, an experience, how do I maybe stop delivering products and start delivering services using products because you get paid more for doing that than just making products. Uh, so how do I elevate my offering? Uh, maybe making that a smart offering um, using technology. Secondly, how do I reach new customers and new markets in new ways? So it's really about building new channels. How do I use digital technology to reach customers in new ways and allow them to reach me? Uh, thirdly, how do I elevate my workforce? So instead of thinking about technology as a way to replace workers, which is almost an old school way of thinking about this, which is pure automation, um, instead of thinking about automation, think about automation and augmentation, where I'm using technology to support my workers, to help them be physically stronger if it's a manufacturing environment with exoskeletons. But that's sort of very niche. Um, really, I'm talking about how do I use artificial intelligence sensors and other capabilities to augment people's intuition, their decision-making skills, um, their... Um, um, my brain's just frozen on me, but to, to augment people's abilities in the workplace. Um, and then how do I use it to streamline my operations, number four? And number five, how do I use it to create new business models and new revenue streams? So those are the five big things. And you take the six technologies I talked about, cross them with the five things I talked about, and that's where you'll find innovation in the 2020s. And that's what I write about in the book. Well, I was just going to come on to ask you about the book. Um... And the fact, I mean, I know it's become very popular. I've already acquired a copy and I'm going to work my way through it, see if it will teach me a thing or two. Not that's particularly difficult. Um, all these advances in, in technology, Steve, have there been any that have really blown your mind? Uh, let me put that into perspective. I'm still fascinated by Shazam. I have no idea how that works. I think it's the most fascinating bit of kit on the App Store. Um I guess you're probably thinking at a slightly elevated level to that. But in all your experience, there been any past or, or current where you just go, wow, even for somebody like Steve Brown, absolutely wow, off the charts. Any that have blown you away? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it all, it tends to be in the realm of artificial intelligence. Um, because AI um, allows us to solve problems that we don't know how to solve ourselves. And the, the reason I say that is you think about the way you traditionally program a computer. You, you have a computer, it's a digital computer, it runs a program and encoded in that program are rules on what it needs to do. If I press control S, save file, right? If I press control B, bold the text. These are all rules that we program into it. For problems that we don't know how to solve ourselves, well, we don't know how to code it. You can use a different almost brute force technique um, where you train uh, a system. So you give it lots and lots of examples. So I might show it, the classic example everybody talks about is trying to teach an AI how to, to determine whether a picture is of a cat or a dog. You show it enough pictures and you label these are pictures of dogs, these are labels of cat, pictures of cats. It will figure out on its own what the rules are. So that approach allows us to solve problems that we don't know how to solve ourselves. It's not that 
we're creating some you know, powerful intelligence um, that is able to think its way through this. It is a brute force computing technique that allows us to solve problems we don't know how to solve ourselves. So that enables you to do some pretty incredible things. And one of the ones that has most interested me, it's very similar actually to the Vocalis Health example I gave. It is that AI can spot patterns in the world that we as humans cannot. So it almost allows us to lift the veil on the world and see it more fully. Um, you know, there, there's an example, again, in the medical world for assisted living. There's um, a program that's come out of MIT, um, MIT Media Labs in, uh, on, on the East Coast of the United States, where they created a sensor. And it's really about putting sensors and combining them with AI to create what I've called in the book, super sensors. And what you're doing is you take the output of a sensor and you use an AI to interpret it. In this case, it's a simple radio frequency sensor, a bit like a Wi-Fi hotspot they stick on the wall, but about one one hundredth of the power. So it sends out radio frequency waves and then sees what bounces back. Um, radio frequency waves tend to bounce back off human bodies and go through walls. So this sensor they've created uh, is designed to keep a watchful eye on people in assisted living without having a camera, which would be invasive of privacy. So this sensor is able to, the AI is able to, from the signals that bounce back, which to humans just looks like a blur of data. The AI can spot inside that is the human being that I'm watching over standing, sitting, laying down, have they fallen over? So you have automatic fall detection, which for people in an elderly, you know, assisted living community is really quite important. So you can get them help quickly. It's sensitive enough to wirelessly from that signal, be able to tell what their breathing rate is and what their heart rate is. So now I have wireless breathing and heart rate monitoring, which is important if you're looking over and trying to look after an elderly person. Even more than that, it can, it can read your sleep state wirelessly. So if you've ever had a sleep study where they put wires all over you and figure out you know, if you're sleeping properly, no wires anymore. So it can tell, are you in deep sleep, light sleep, REM sleep, or awake? Now, all of that is important because if you start to have repetitive patterns of motion walking around a room and you have disruptions in your REM sleep, that is an indicator of early onset Alzheimer's. Now I have an AI with a, with a box on the wall that can detect if I have early onset Alzheimer's I need to intervene with. If you change your gait, that can be a sign to the way you walk, the way you distribute your weight. That can be detected, and that's a, an early onset Parkinson's thing. Um, if you have disruptions to your deep sleep, that can be an indicator of anxiety or depression. So now I have this single sensor on a wall that can measure all of these biometrics and allow people to watch over somebody safely without invasion, invading their privacy, uh, and to be able to intervene when things go wrong. That's the stuff that amazes me. Wow. And everything you just said there amazes me. And I'm sure lots of listeners too, um, from lots of different parts of the world. Steve, how do we know more? I mean, obviously you've talked about the book, uh, but the books, the books, uh, the, the the website, just let us know how we can find out more about the rather fascinating and clever Steve Brown. So the book is The Innovation Ultimatum. You can find it on Amazon, all good bookstores. 
uh, you can find me on my website, Bald Futurist. You can't see me because it's a podcast, but I have not a head, not a, not a, a, a slice of hair on my head. So Bald <laughs> Futurist, B-A-L-D, futurist.com. Uh, and you can follow me on all of the usual Twitters and, and Facebooks. Uh, it's easy. Facebook.com slash, guess what? Bald Futurist, Twitter, <laughs> at Bald Futurist. And you know so what? On. Despite all our research, I did not know about that, that, that about you. I did not know you were called the Bald Futurist. Um, but given the fact that there's a, there's a recommendation I'm making uh, for you to go and speak on a big platform, as you know, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to introducing you to, as the uh, as the bald futurist. <laughs> so final question, Steve, uh, because unfortunately time is almost up. Uh, if you were having, and this would be a fascinating conversation, if you were having a conversation with a younger version of yourself and, and let he in this particular situation said, okay, so given all that you know, how, how should I best position myself? What steps should I be taking? What mantra uh, or ethos should I be living by in order to, you know, become as successful, whatever that is? Yeah. We all have different definitions. But if, but if above all other things that you've learned along their way, the way, Steve, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to a younger person yourself in terms of dealing with the future and change and all the things that come with it? Uh, can I give two? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll keep them short. The first one is follow your passions. Um, do things that you think are worthwhile. Uh, don't waste your time doing something you don't think is important. So be part of a mission. Be part of a company that does something you think is good for the world. Um, and you will find that you put all your energy into it then. Um, and you don't. It, it won't feel like going to work anymore. It'll feel like, yeah, I get to go and do this today. So that's the first one. Do something you think is worthwhile and you're passionate about. Um, and the second thing is to be um, to be really aware that the the people who will have the most impact in the future are people who can straddle multiple domains. So people who are earning ridiculous salaries right now because they're so in demand um, are people who understand the world of medicine and know a bit about AI. Uh, or people who are working on autonomous car projects, you know, people who understand the world of philosophy and ethics and also understand programming. So people who can straddle two different but associated domains are going to be in high demand. And not only that, that's where you will have the most impact because that's when we're trying to solve the problems of the future. It will be people who have expertise in two connected areas that will have the biggest potential impact uh, and ability to solve problems going forward. You've just given me a eureka moment. I now understand why my son wants a pay rise because he does lots of different things for me, straddling more than two different disciplines in the business. Um, Steve Brown, I, I have to say I've learned tons, not just from speaking to you today, but from our earlier uh, conversations. Um, and I'm sure because what you do is, is kind of so unique and, and you know, so, so um, enlightening for so many people in terms of answering some of the questions that have been burning away at us for such a long time. I'm sure there'll be calls for you to come back and have another chat with us. But, uh, but for the moment, um, good luck with the book, of course. It goes without saying that's going to do terrifically well. And uh, for all you continue to do, very best wishes. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast. And on behalf of the very, very many people out there listening from all around the world now, I'm very proud to say, uh, Steve Brown, thanks for being an amazing guest. My pleasure, Sandra. Thanks for the great conversation. It was fun.